Well, hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing in the room? Doing well? Good? I'm glad. Glad to see you. Glad that you're here. For those of you watching online, we're just so happy that you are here joining us as well. Uh, I'm not going to beat a 2020 drum at all today, but I just want to say, man, aren't you glad fall is here? Anybody else? Maybe just me? I mean, come on. Hunting is here. For those of you that are outdoorsy, you're like, finally, I can go be by myself. I can sit in the woods. I'm just dying for the opportunity. Uh, for many of us, we're also like, yes, football is back on. I love that I get to watch the NFL. And I understand many of you are Lions fans, so that's not as exciting as maybe somebody else like myself. But I love watching football. I love the Bears. I'm a diehard Bears fan. So I love watching the Bears win, I love watching the Packers lose, and I love watching your team, the Lions, just kill themselves. It's just, it is so entertaining for me. It just makes Sundays so much energy. I mean, just life-giving, it's just fun. But I love football because football builds to what? What comes in February? The Super Bowl, right? I mean, this is like, we just have our eyes on it. And so Super Bowl is one of my favorite sporting events. I mean, just ever. I love watching it. And it, I love the Super Bowl because it attracts almost everybody. And here's what I mean. If you're a sports guy or a sports girl and you love watching a big stage where athletes perform at the top of their game, it's just fun to watch. But if you don't like sports, you watch it for the what? The commercials. I have an all-time favorite commercial. Favorite commercial, I remember seeing it for the first time and I've watched it over and over and over ever since then. But it is also, it turns out, it turns out that it is, this is the most all-time shared commercial ever. Do you know what commercial this is? How about this one? Have you ever seen this commercial? Those of you maybe in the room, you've seen it, maybe you're watching online. If not, we're gonna put a link for you online. Here's the benefit of watching at home now, right? You can just click the link and ignore me for the next minute and a half. But here's the thing, I love this commercial because here's what happens. There's a little boy dressed as Darth Vader. This is like an eight-year-old commercial. He's dressed as Darth Vader and he's going room to room to room in his house and he holds up his hands just like many of us did as kids. If you watch Star Wars, you would hold up your hands and you would use the force and you would try to make something happen. You know what I'm talking about? Like he would walk up to his dog who's sleeping on his bed and he would just try to use the force and try to see or try to make something happen. He'd walk over to the washing machine and he would try to use the force and make something happen. He would look at his sandwich and he would try to use the force and make something, just anything happen to channel this inner energy, this inner force, this inner power to actually change and manipulate and make something happen. So he builds and builds and builds, but nothing happens until dad gets home. And dad pulls in his brand new car and he parks it in the driveway and his son runs outside and he blows past his dad. And so dad walks inside just like any good parent would. And he goes up to the window. So mom and dad are watching out the window, watching their son walk up to the car. And you can see he's putting his hands together. He's getting ready. He's going to use the force to do what? He wants to start the car. And so as he's getting ready and he's, as he's right in front of the car, you see dad pull out his keys on the inside of the house for that little remote start button. And so the kid goes like this. He, he pushes and you see him trying and dad hits the button and the, the car starts up and the boy reels back. I mean, he just can't even believe it. He's just, he's staring at it. And then he whips around and he looks inside and he looks back like, did this just happen? Can you imagine what that must have felt like as a little boy? I mean, anybody, can you imagine him in a parking lot? Think about, I mean, car to car to car. Think about what do you think he thought he was capable of after such a powerful display of force that actually in reality he had nothing to do with? That it was actually his father 
who was inside who worked on his behalf. I love this commercial. I wish I could have showed it to you. I wish I could have showed it to you. Copyright prevents us from doing that, so go home and watch it later. But here, here's why I use this story. Here's why I tell this story. It actually sets up the battle that we are talking about in Scripture today so well. About a father who intervenes and intercedes on his children's behalf from afar, yet deliberately using power through his children. It is such a powerful story. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 7 or 17. We're also going to be uh, putting the words up on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, if you want to take notes, that's fine too. But let's read this together. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. It says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. So the Amalekites were this wicked people that came in. They were fighting. They were trying to destroy the Israelites, and Moses finally had it up to here. And he says, we're going to fight Joshua, get your men, get ready, head to the battlefield, we're going to fight, and then what Moses does is he says, me and Aaron, my brother-in-law, and her, or Aaron, his brother, and her, who they think is his brother-in-law, he said, we're going to go up on the top of this mountain. So why, why were the Amalekites significant in this text? This is Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. This is God speaking. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. God's saying, I, I know your enemy. Moses knew the enemy. Joshua knew the enemy. The people of Israel knew the enemy, the Amalekites, because of this. When they were tired, when they were weary, and when they were worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked. All who were lagging behind, they had no fear of God. This people group, the Amalekites, ever since the Israelites left Egypt, they would attack them when they were resting. They would attack them when they were sleeping. They would attack those who were weak. They would attack those who were kind of straggling or limping or struggling along behind, those that were sick, those that were vulnerable. This enemy just continued to attack over and over and over and over and over, and God saw it, and it bothered him. And so the Amalekites and the Israelites are warring. This is as close to good versus evil as you can get. And so this evil people, this evil group is attacking God's people. And Moses says, we're going to do something about it. So he heads up the hill. This is going back, Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. But we can miss this if we don't highlight it. So that's why it's in yellow. Tomorrow, Moses is speaking, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I couldn't. I couldn't talk about that without having this, right? I mean, can you imagine Moses saying, I'm going up to the top of the hill and I have the staff of God in my hands. Do you know what the staff of God was involved in leading up to this moment? I had to look it up. I went chapter by chapter by chapter of when it first mentioned the staff of God in relation to Moses and the staff of God when Moses was sent by God to the Egyptians, to Pharaoh, to the leader himself. Moses brought this staff as commanded by God and here's what God used this staff for. He was standing before Pharaoh. 
And God said, Moses, throw down your staff. And so he throws it down, and the staff becomes a snake, slither, like a live snake. This is a magic trick. He throws it down, and it becomes a snake. Here's another one, the Nile River. These are all the plagues now when God starts using Moses to deliver the plagues to free his people from Egypt. Moses takes the staff, and he strikes the Nile River, and all of the waters turn to blood. It involved the staff. Here are the other ones. He striked the water again, and, and frogs came out of the water and overwhelmed Egypt. He striked the dust, and the dust turned to gnats and overwhelmed Egypt. There was hail and lightning that God used the staff. He said, raise the staff towards the sky, and it rained down hail and lightning over the Egyptians. There was an invasion of locusts. God said, Moses, during Passover... During the final plague where the firstborn of every family was struck down, God instructed Moses to hold onto the staff as they partook in the meal. This staff was so significant. So then they leave Egypt, and God says, Moses, take the staff again and raise it up. And God splits the Red Sea with the staff. Then the chapter, or the, the couple verses right before our text today, the people are thirsty. They're thirsty, they're parched, they have no water, they're in the middle of the desert, and God says yet again, take the staff, strike the rock, and out from it came water, enough water, clean, safe, nourishing water to feed the entire people. I want you to catch this. It's so significant. This was referred to as the staff of God. That there was power involved when God was on the side of the Israelites, when God was on the side of Moses, and so everything Moses did, it wasn't Moses doing, but it was his father's doing. And the staff became a representative over and over and over. And so now we fast forward to this battle, and Moses sees this enemy called the Amalekites, who is a wicked, wicked people. And catch this, God does not tell Moses grab the staff, Moses grabs it on his own and says, we're going to fight this people, but we're going to fight them differently. And it says he takes the staff of God in his hands and he walks up the mountain. Is that cool or what? It gets better. Let's keep reading. Exodus chapter 17, verse 11 says this, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. The very presence and power of God working through the person of Moses as he's up on a mountaintop interceding and pleading for the very lives of his people. The text says when Moses had his hands up and was interceding for his people, they what? They won. And then when Moses dropped his hands, what happened? They lost. This is just weird. I mean, can you imagine being Joshua on the front lines fighting? I just, I can't help but put my shoes in, put myself in Joshua's shoes. I mean, think about this. So Aaron and Moses and her, right? Here's these three guys. Moses, the leader of the Israelite people, says, hey, uh, we're going to go for a walk up the top of the mountain, but you stay here and fight, and we're going to beat them together. Can you imagine what that feels like if you're Joshua? I mean, think about it. Time out. I'm going to go fight. Hand to hand, seeing my enemies, looking them in the eye. We're, we're going to go down. We're going to be sweating. We're going to be bloody. We're, we're the ones that are going to do the work. And you and your brother and your brother-in-law are going to go for a hike on a mountain. 
and, and, and you're going to say, we're fighting this together? Do you have anybody like that in your life? When the going starts getting tough and really tough and harder and then costly, and they say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you from over here, pretty far away, pretty distant, pretty, pretty uh, I don't know, comforted away from all of what I, I don't want to be around, I don't want to see, I don't want to partake. But Moses was catching on here to something that was so significant. He was saying, we are going to fight this battle together, but what I am going to do up here is far more significant than what you're going to do down here. Not because of the actions of either of the two of them, but because of the action of God himself. And I can't help but think about Joshua and think about what it feels like to be on the front lines. Like, do you know what it's like to struggle? Do you know what it's like to hurt? Do you know what it's like to look at the enemy who is actively trying to hurt you and kill you and destroy you and who plays cheaply and exploits your vulnerabilities and makes you feel all alone and scared and worried and fearful and just crippled? Do you know what that's like? You know, Brian and I, the reason Brian knows some of where we're going today is because he and I were in here last night praying together. And I'll be the first one to tell you, it has been an extraordinary tough two weeks for me. I just had to write down some of this. This is, this is my own family of what I feel like the enemy is working against my family. In my own family in the last two weeks, in the last two days, there have been thoughts and attempts of suicide. There's been medical uncertainty in upcoming biopsy. There's marriage issues. There's been verbal attacks. There's been physical attacks. There's been depression and sadness and division and anger and resentment. This is recent. I'm so sick of getting beat up by the enemy. As I was writing this and I was praying through this and as I was praying for you, I just couldn't help but think of story after story after story after story after story of people here in this room who are going through the exact same thing. And as Joshua, right, you think about Joshua and you say... I see my enemy. I feel him working against me. I feel the pain. I feel the suffering. I feel the torment. I feel the aloneness. I feel the helplessness. I feel the hopelessness. I feel all of that. There's something about fighting an enemy when you're close that you begin to lose perspective. And what Moses does, and it's so significant, is he says, I'm going to go up on top of the mountain. And I'm going to intercede with God on your behalf so that when I pray, I believe and I will see that God will actually move and intervene on your behalf. Can you imagine being Joshua, feeling like you're just getting wailed on, feeling like you're just getting beat up and slashed, and you're starting to give up, you're starting to lose hope, and then you turn and you look up to say almost as if, does anybody care? Is anybody watching? God, do you even care? Can you see me? Can you feel me? Do you see where I'm at? I am fighting with everything in me, and we are losing. Can you imagine Joshua looking up the hill? And he sees Moses, who does one of these. And everything begins to change. Everything begins to change. And as you look side to side, you start to see you're, you're now gaining ground. 
that the enemy is now losing ground, that the war, the hope starts to come back in, the, the excitement starts to come back in, the resolve to keep fighting starts coming back in, and you look up, and, and as long as you see Moses on the top interceding, praying on your behalf, you see and sense and feel the tangible difference that Moses isn't just making, but that God is making on your behalf. This is such an important story, I think, for so many of us, even as Brian was up here talking, just uh, just standing up here, there's a sense of defeat, I feel like, in our room and in our country and in our world. I think so many of us are just tired. I think so many of us are starting to give up hope. I think so many of us are starting to give up because we have one of the most polarizing elections we've ever seen. We have a pandemic that, that most of us have never even lived through something like that. There's racial injustices and division. There's abortions and bombings and divorces, bankruptcies, unemployment, hunger, starvation, wildfires. Do you ever just say, I'm done? If you've been in my house, I, I keep saying, I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> I've had it here. I'm heading north. Because I've just learned the colder it gets, the less people there are. I'm just, we're just heading up. Pack your stuff. You ever get like that and just go, you know what? I've had it. Because I'm sick of getting beat up by the enemy. And I can't help but think about Joshua. I want to ask you this question. Here's the question. What's your battle right now? Because I, I got mine. I shared with you some of mine that are just up front and just the weight that it feels like having to carry some of those. It, just, it can be crippling sometimes. What's your battle right now? What is it right now that's in front of you that is gaining ground against you? Maybe it's personal. Maybe, maybe it's interior, like it's internal. It's deep down. You're, you're fighting things like depression, things like suicide, things, things like guilt or shame. Maybe it's an addiction. You're fighting something so deep that many people around you would never know if you didn't let them in. Some of you are fighting that. Some of you are fighting the exact opposite side of the spectrum that everybody around you can see. Everybody around you can feel. Everyone around you can sense. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with weight. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction that actually has visible signs. Maybe you're struggling with, with cutting or suicide. Maybe you're struggling with anger or resentment or bitterness. Fill in the blank. I think so many of us, sometimes in maybe different seasons, we struggle internally, we struggle externally, or there, there's a struggle and a fight and a war and battles that rage around us that are external that sometimes don't even have anything to do with us, but it burdens us and it weighs us down. Can you imagine Joshua on the battlefield looking up to his father in heaven saying, do you see me? Do you hear me? Have you forgotten me? Because I'm getting killed out here. Aren't you going to do anything? I've been there. As recent as last night. I love this. That the enemy begins to lose ground. 
not because reinforcements show up. You catch that? Nobody else shows up on the battlefield. So the enemy begins to lose ground, not because reinforcements showed up, not because they changed their strategy. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say we split in half and one side flanked them and the other side took them on and, and, and we want to credit it. No, it, nothing changed. It wasn't because they changed their strategy. It wasn't because they tried harder. I think some of you just need to hear that. <laughs> if you feel like you're getting wailed on by the enemy in some area of your life, the result or what you have to do is not try harder. Because I promise you, Joshua and his men that were out fighting were trying as hard as they could because it wasn't fighting for an ideology. They weren't fighting for something that they believed. They were fighting for their lives. They were trying pretty hard. And it wasn't because you did anything the only thing that changed the tide and changed the battle and changed the outcome was this. It was prayer. Because someone else interceded on your behalf. Isn't that something? That the only change that can be accredited to the, to the victory here that, that began to be possible was the fact that someone else with the power of God holding his hands above you and praying over you, that is the only thing that changed the outcome for Moses and the entire Israelite people. Friends, I just have to tell you this. I think so often we just forget about the power of prayer. I think we just forget. And maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you've followed him for a long time and, and much of your life has been built around him and you've hit different seasons where you struggled and you said, I've come before God and I've prayed to him and I've asked him to change something and something just didn't change and, and you remember those. And you wonder why, or you ask God the question, why? why? God, here I was, I was interceding on my behalf. I was interceding on somebody else's behalf. I was coming to you in the power of prayer and yet nothing changed and I wish I had an answer for you. But I think it might be a little bit more macro, more big picture than maybe what you would anticipate. Maybe you haven't followed Jesus and you identify with a lot of the stuff I just shared of just feeling weighted and burdened and pain and suffering. You're just going, does anybody care? Is anybody out there? Is anybody watching? You say that God is a loving God. Wouldn't a loving God step in and do something? And I want to answer that and say yes. I think a lot of us in this room are tired or discouraged or worried about the future because it seems like the enemy is going to win. And I'm not talking about the election. There's something much bigger at play. The enemy of sin, the enemy of evil, there's Satan working against this world to destroy us. And just like Joshua, I think many of us are looking up to heaven and saying, God, can you see me from there? Can't you see I'm losing? Can't you see I'm hurting? Can't you see we're dying? 
Can't you see how jacked up our world is right now? Please do something like Joshua. Come down the mountain and help. If that's where you're at, you're in good company. Here's what's so funny. Moses actually accomplished more through prayer than the soldiers did on the battlefield. If you write down anything today, please write that down. That Moses, interceding on his people's behalf, accomplished more than anybody did with their hands or their mouths or their own strength or their own power. Moses accomplished more with his hands outstretched than anybody else did on that day. Exodus 17, verse 12. It says, When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I love this story. This is just so cool that Moses holding his hands up. I mean, I thought about doing this even in the room today. Like, everybody put your hands up, and we're just going to hold them as long as we can. That sounds horrible. Most of us aren't going to hit 90 seconds, right? You ever do that? Or like, even in worship, you you raise your hands, and then after about 30 seconds, you're like, all right, they're starting to get tired, getting tingly, losing blood flow. I'm going to come back down. Can you imagine holding them up until sunset tonight? Can you imagine the pressure of Moses? interceding with God on his people's behalf, and he starts getting the tinglys, and he's like, we're only in five minutes. But if I drop my hands, my people will die. And so he keeps them up, and then his brother and his brother-in-law, they come next to him, one on either side, and they get behind him, and they support him, and they hold his hands up because they see God working through Moses and his prayers for his people. So they make this a team effort and a group effort, and he holds his hands above the people until the victory is complete. This is such a vivid picture of the gospel. Do you realize that? This is such a vivid picture, not of how God works and God moves for the sake of the Israelite people, but of how God has worked and has moved on on behalf and for the sake of all people, not through the person of Moses, but through the person of Jesus. This is like the most significant thing I can tell you. The person of Jesus was also one who went up on a mountain called Calvary with his hands outstretched for the burden and sake of his people who were getting destroyed by an enemy called sin. The person of Jesus was up on the mountain for the world to look up and the world to see as Jesus not just prayed for his people, as you know he did, but Jesus interceded for his people on our behalf. Has anybody ever done that for you? tell you about one of the harder parts of my life over the last 10 years. Um, before I was here at Frontline, I was at a different church uh, here in Grand Rapids, and it was, uh, it was a great place. I, I loved the church. I loved the people. I, loved, I had a really promising future there, honestly. 
I remember God stirring in my heart and getting me excited for, for, for what could be or what could be coming down the, the line and just different people were speaking into my life. I had great relationships, great friendships, and things, things were going really well. But one day I walked into my office and I walked up to my desk and somebody else's stuff was on my desk. Has that ever happened to you? It's not a feeling of excitement. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you walk in, it's not like somebody left something there. It was like somebody was actively working in my space before I got there. And I walk in and I go, I don't know who this guy thinks he is, but I hate him. Am I being replaced? I mean, that's how I found out there was this job that was coming up. There's a position that was over. I had my eyes on it. I was set on it. I felt like God was leading me here. And then I walk in, and they had hired somebody else without ever telling anybody. And so he came in, and just like you, maybe this anger or resentment or hatred that you might have, I, I, w- I was hating the pastor. I was so angry. And then I became angry at God, and I went, what the heck, and what happened? And here's what I didn't realize. That was the start of kind of an unwinding in my life. I would eventually lose my job. I would eventually hit a financial struggle of which I've never, I've never hit that bottom before of just total desperation and total need. I would lose my job. I would burn bridges with people that mattered to me. I would lose relationships. I thought my career was over ever before it started. I was evicted out of the place that I was living, and I was at this point of desperation. And the same man that took my job ended up intersecting with me, and I opened up, and I just, at this point, I just don't care anymore. I go, I'm just done. And he says, can I tell you something, David? Sure. He says, do you know that I've been praying for you since the first day I met you? Because I felt like God said something in my spirit that he is gonna need you. Hard to be mad at somebody after they say something like that. actually opened the door to this relationship of which he and I got to walk together from one of the worst places in my life to a place of healing, to a place of hope, to a place of restoration. And I can't help but think that is exactly what God does for us through the person of Jesus. That some of you have felt so alone and so lost and so hopeless and so defeated and you've given up and you think maybe God has forgotten you, God has ignored you, God doesn't care, he doesn't see, and yet what you will realize at a certain point, maybe it's now, maybe it's in the future, maybe it's someday when you can look God face to face, but you will realize that there has been one who has been praying for you since the very beginning. That there's one who's been walking with you since the very beginning. There's one who's been interceding for you on your behalf since the very beginning, whether you realized he was there and realized he was praying for you and realized he was working on your behalf or not. I love how this passage closes. Exodus 17, verse 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Make sure Joshua hears it. The one who was fighting and sweaty and bloody and tired and feeling of defeat. Make sure Joshua hears this because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. I will totally destroy the enemy, God says. 
Moses built an altar there and he called it the Lord is my banner, a banner, something you raise high that exclaims a message, a reminder to all people. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Zoom out, bigger picture. God is at war with evil in this world and God is gonna win. I just want you to know that. And God's gonna defeat the enemies in your life. It may not be on your timetable. It may not be in the way that you expect or you hope, but the enemy that works against you, God has already declared a victory. I wanna show you this last picture. This is one of my favorite monuments. I mean, I, I don't have a big list of favorite monuments in the world, but I like this one. This is Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And I was reading about it and studying it a little bit this week and I went, how did this come to be? And it was in 1920 that the people in Brazil were so moved by the godlessness in their society that they petitioned and raised money to put this above their city. I mean, look at this next, I just, I love the imagery here of Jesus with his arms outstretched over the entire world, just like Moses over the entire Israelite camp. Jesus is over the entire world saying, you can look to me, you can trust me. I'm working, I'm interceding. And it is through my intercession for you that I will win, that you will win if you are with me. Leads me to this last image, and this is what we're gonna keep up for the rest of our service today. I wanna have an opportunity for you here in the service for you to fix your eyes on the cross. As if you're on the battlefield and you're looking up for hope, you're looking up for help, you're looking up for a promise, for a banner that reminds you that God is over all and in all and through all. He will work through Jesus for the sake of his people, and that is you. And that is me. So we're gonna do something fun. I just can't wait for this because I've had so many different people in my life that in significant seasons or significant areas or significant times in my life, I've felt this tug by the Holy Spirit sitting in seats just like you, just like where you're at right now, just like you're watching online, where God says, I want you to step up. Not, not to come fight, but to come be fought for. And so we're gonna have uh, a couple people from our church, a couple staff members. They're gonna be on this side of the room by these uh, panels over here. And then we're gonna have a couple more on this side. And here's the invitation I wanna give to you because I've benefited from this type of invitation in the past. If you need someone to intercede on your behalf today, please don't miss the opportunity. Because some of you have been fighting a battle by yourself and you're just getting kicked. And there are so many moments, even in the last couple of weeks, where different people came in and there is power when they put hands on you, when they pray words from God himself over you, it breathes life, it breathes power, it breathes change and transformation in a way that you can only experience to understand it. So the band's gonna create just a little bit of space for us before we're going into this next song, but I wanna encourage you. 
If you feel like God is stirring in your heart, every one of these people are safe. Nothing weird's gonna happen. But I believe something powerful could happen. If you just walk up to them and just say, I just need prayer for this, or I just need prayer for us, or I need prayer for these people, whatever it is, please don't miss the opportunity to have someone intercede on your behalf today in a way that could make a tangible difference.